the blessing of all of you. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, if you would, this morning. I want to encourage you to be in the Wednesday evening services. We began Wednesday night a study through the book of Ephesians. We'll be there for several weeks, if not several months, verse by verse, trying to pull out the things that God has, not just for the church of Ephesus, but for the church today. And uh, so we want to encourage you that. Be, be here tonight. The whole service will be given over to funneling our attention to the receiving of the Lord's Supper. Uh, the message this evening, the Decalogue of the Lord's Supper, the 10 things that God wants us to see and participate in when we gather around uh, his table. Uh, this morning in Philippians chapter 1, remain seated. I'll read several verses. I'll have you stand in a few moments when we read a select group of verses that will be the thrust of our message. And I want, to, I want us to look this morning for a little while at this word, discontinued. Discontinued. In the book of Philippians chapter 1, let's begin together in verse number 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with bishops and deacons, grace and be unto you in peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart in so much as in both my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And the word bowel here is where we get our word or our thought, heart, our love. Uh, this week is Valentine's Day, man. You better not forget that. I've got I to find out which day of this week it is, but it is this week. And everything is red and hearts out right now. Can you imagine you go to the card shop and on the, on the front of the card is bowels and not hearts? Uh, we, are, we, we are accustomed to, we are led to think of the heart as the source of love. When Paul is writing here, he's talking the innermost part of my being. My heart, the heart of Jesus Christ. As I pray that you may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. Would you stop long enough there and then, uh, let me say this and then I'll have you stand and we'll read verses for text. I want you to think of what all Paul has been through. Paul has been shipwrecked. Paul has been beaten in stone and drug outside of the city and they left him on the ground thinking that he was dead. He has been one that has become hated. He has been imprisoned. His back has been beaten. And what does he say about all? The things which have happened unto me. 
have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. In our mind's eye, let me have you imagine yourself in Paul's place. How long would it be before you quit? When would you have discontinued your ministry had you been in Paul's shoes? If you had been living Paul's life and you had been through all of the shipwreck and you think, God put me here and God wants me here and God has reason for this, I don't need this. And Paul said, I want you to understand I was shipwrecked for the furtherance of the gospel. I have been imprisoned for the furtherance of the gospel. I have been beaten and nearly killed for the furtherance of the gospel. How did that, how did Paul being beaten in the dungeon of the prison, how did that further the gospel? I want you to think, if you would, as Paul was released from that and then he was given freedom and he stood before a gathering of people to preach the gospel of Christ. His reputation, his story, his character demanded he be heard. There was a jailer who at those moments when Paul and Silas sang out the praises of God and the jail shook and the gates opened and the bars were released and the jailer thought, every one of these criminals who I've been given charge, they're not going to sit around. They're gone. And the scripture says that he took his sword and he would have fallen on it and taken his own life for the responsibility of all these vile people within the prison walls have now escaped and it's my fault. Paul said, don't do anything to yourself. We are all here. And that night, that prison warden was saved and the scripture talks about his house was saved. And he was not silent. He told in the community what would happen or what had happened. He told about hearing Paul and Silas sing. I'd like to know the words of the song they sang that night. By the way, it wasn't Amazing Grace. It wasn't around back then. That was a contemporary song that was coming later. I wonder what they were singing. I don't know what their words were, but I do know what the message was. And when Paul mounted whatever platform and pulpit that he could mount, and the people stood before him, they knew who he was. And the things which have happened unto me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. What if Paul had quit? What if Paul had discontinued his service? And would you stand for a moment and let's read in verse 20. Enjoy this morning. I'm so thankful for the beautiful offertory song. It's a good practice for us as the offering is being received and we've worshiped the Lord with our giving to listen to what is being played because it's a ministry to us. It is well with my soul. There's a lot of people this morning, it's not well with the body. I'm glad it goes beyond that.
Your body can be falling apart. And if it's well with your soul, you can have complete peace of God. And all around Paul was not right. With his body, it was not right. We know that he bore in himself the marks of the things that had happened. Verse number 20, if you would please. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I want not. I don't know which one I want more. Now there are a number of reasons that I want to live for a while yet. But there's a tremendous number of reasons that I'm ready to go home as well. And Paul says, when I think what I got, but I think what I'm going to have, which one do I choose? For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. It's Paul saying it's more needful that I stay alive and help you. Selflessness and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. I want us to think for a little while on that word discontinued and the question what is it that will cause you to quit let's pray together Father meet with us in the time allotted ahead speak to us through your word strengthen us for the journey that you have for us and may we be able to say as Paul the things that have happened in our life have happened for the furtherance of the gospel for the glory of God and for the good of the church. Now speak to us through your word and help us to understand our place. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated if you were discontinued, no longer available to stop making, to terminate, to bring to an end, to put to an end, to put to a stop, to finish, to halt, to cancel, to drop, to dispense with, to go away from all of these words and maybe even the word abolish are words that could be associated with this morning the thought discontinue discontinue you, you've heard you've heard this story I think I've used it once or twice before the 
fellow that joined into the monastery and he got there and they gave him the, you know, the piece of wood for a bed and, and all of this kind of stuff and the food. And he could only say a couple of words every so often, every 10 years or so. And, and the first time he was given an opportunity to speak, he said, room cold. The second, you know, 10 more years passed. They said, you got two more words. He said, food bad. And after the next 10 years, he said, I quit. And the man in charge said, well, I should have known that. All you've done is complain since you got here. Quit. I have on my office desk this morning because the Lord sort of drew my attention to it a few weeks ago, and I've been reading back through it, a book that was published shortly after 1976. And the National Sword of the Lord Conference. The title of the book is this, Fires from Many Altars. And what it is, is basically, it's, it was a book for pastors, it's a review book. And they typed out 22 sermons preached during the conference, preached by 16 men. I'm using pastors for illustration today. Of the 16 men who preached that week for the SWORD conference in 1976, one of them got off track by his desire and his mission and ministry became fighting the government and fighting the IRS. He preached a wonderful message but in his fight with the government and the fight for the IRS, the government seized their buildings and the church literally no longer exists. And shortly thereafter, he quit. Another of the men who preached a powerful message wrote a letter, a handwritten letter to the Pope and apologized for condemning the Catholic Church and the doctrine of the Catholic Church. One of them, a pastor at the time, one of the largest churches in America, after compromising his testimony, went into his office, put a gun to his head, and took his own life. Three of them have ended in moral failure. And one of them made such drastic changes in their college as to quit cre teaching creation so as that their graduates might be certified by the government to teach education. One of the pastors that is in the book had two sermons inside the pages of that book. Had a tremendously large work in Ohio in which the facilities were valued at over $40.5 million. 
Some things happened in his personal life in which he quit. In 2015, that 40 and a half million dollar church property was put on the market for $3.5 million. And it did not sell until recently, at which time the $40.5 million church and facility sold for $1.5 million. And the church no longer exists. And I'm not saying those things today to discourage you. What I am saying, what God has put on my heart for this hour is this. If 16 men who were some of the most powerful, spirit-filled preachers of the day can address a convention a conference of thousands of people and preach God's word, yet still come to the point that they quit. How easy is it for any of us to discontinue? I have gone through that book. I have read it. They are men who, some of them I... A number of them, over half of them, I have had the personal privilege of knowing and meeting, fellowship. I want to know why. Why did you quit? Why did you discontinue? Why did you live your life so differently from this? Why is it that suddenly you just stopped? Why is it that ministry was shattered? Why was it shattered? Why has it gone away? Why did you discontinue what God had placed in your heart? I know in the scripture it talks about preachers and, 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 and I understand it from being in that place and many of you may not be able to understand but there's just something about being able to deliver God's message that is comforting to you. I want to tell you this about standing behind this desk. There's not one time that I stand behind this desk that I am not nervous. That I'm not fearful. And I'm not fearful that I'm going to make a grammatical error. I know that's going to happen. But I'm fearful because what comes from behind this desk and that the place of the pastor is the responsibility of the lives of the people of the church. And I'm not saying it for anybody to feel sorry or anything else, but it's a heavy load. And I'm fearful that I won't say what God wants me to say. And I'm fearful that I'll say what I want to say. There's not, a sun, there's not a Saturday night that I sleep through the night. And usually there's not a Sunday night that I sleep through the night. Because I wonder, God, are you pleased? I, ha I, ha I have been amazed sometimes 
to sit over here and physically know that within my body, I don't have what it takes to get behind that desk. But there's something about coming to this place right here that I have felt 100% different from here to here and it's not comfort. There have been times when I've had a fever, been so sick. There have been times, and I know a few people that have seen, there have been times that I've had to hold, uh, the, when I first got the defibrillator and all that mess put into my chest, and they told me it'll, if, you, if it goes off, you're going to know it. One, one Sunday morning in Sunday school, and Dennis Patterson saw it, but one morning in Sunday, and I told you, I told you when I first got it, jokingly, if it ever goes off, you're going to think I'm, I, I've gone into a Holy Spirit fit. And they told me this, they said, when it hits, it's going to knock you down, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I was about 10 minutes from being finished with Sunday school and adult Sunday school class one day. I thought, whew, I'm a little dizzy. I'm a little lightheaded. Lord, you better do something. And I felt that electricity in here. And I knew that was the pacemaker side. And it has a certain amount of time to calm me back down. And if I don't calm down, there's a defibrillator side. The defibrillator side is like those things that, you know, they hang in the walls. And I'm sort of watching the clock and I'm timing it. I looked over at my wife. I took my hands and I wrapped them around both sides right here. And it did. And I remember my foot went. <laughs> There's just something that God puts in people in the call to the pastor. And I look at this book and I say, these are men that I loved and I knew. I respected. What made them quit? And let me tell you this about us. We're no different than you. It bleeds. It hurts. It aches. It groans. And so what God's given me for right now is this. The reason that nine of the 16 men quit are the same reason that the people in the pew quit. The purpose that God has given me today for this hour is to help you understand what it is that will bring you to the place of discontinued. Take note of them, if you would, please. Number one, the world. Number one, the world. Paul said in 2 Timothy, at chapter number four, he's writing to young Timothy. He's an older man. He's in prison. His vision is dim. He doesn't have all that he needs. And here's what it says. Demas hath forsaken me. Having loved the present world. And there are those that would want to contend with message or contend with what the preacher says. And they say, yes, but John chapter 3.16, what about that? For God so loved the world. That verse of Scripture is talking about the lives, the souls of man. A different world. Paul is saying, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The flesh this morning, 
the desire to do. The eyes this morning, the desire to have. And pride this morning, the desire to be. I was talking to my wife last night, sharing with her. Things are in this world are not always what they seem to be. Let me illustrate it quick. How many of you have seen the commercial from the pancake house? Okay, I hop. And they have the stack of pancakes and they're pouring that beautiful what on top of it? Absolutely not. Not one drop of maple syrup. Can I tell you what they're pouring on it? Motor oil. Have you ever seen an advertisement on television with a big piece of dessert and on it is Cool Whip? You know the good kind, the kind that you go... All right, now you've all, I think everybody in here, you've taken a piece of pie, warm apple pie, the smell of cinnamon, and some of you are ready to leave. And you spray that cool whip on top, that whip topping on there, and you make a perfect little mound of that, and it's circular, and you let up, and it comes to a point. You've seen that, right? How long did it stay that way? Not long. You saw that piece of dessert on television, and there it was with that beautiful whip topping. Do you know what that whip topping was? Shaving cream. You've seen the advertisement from the ice cream store where they drag the scoop through the ice cream, and the ice cream rolls up perfectly, and they drop it in the cone. And they do another one and they put it on the cone. And then they put the cherry on top of it. Do you know what that beautiful ice cream is? Instant mashed potatoes mixed with cornmeal and food coloring to the kind of ice cream they want you to think that it is. Have you ever gotten a fast food hamburger that looked like the advertisement? I've watched a little editorial thing this week of what they do to me. And a guy kept going in. He was a smart aleck probably. He'd go in he, and he'd order a hamburger. He opened it up and he said, this doesn't. So he'd go back up the counter and he said, this is the hamburger you advertise. Does this look anything like it? I want this one. You can have this one back. He went to about eight different restaurants. Not one hamburger came back and looked like what was advertised. You know Why? You can't eat the one they advertise. There's cardboard between the bread and the burger. And between the burger and the lettuce. And the lettuce and the cheese. You say, the cheese looks so good melted. They do it with a torch. How they hide the cardboard. Ketchup and mustard. And that burger looks so delicious and juicy. Because they paint vegetable oil on the side. Well, I took mine apart and it was charbroiled. No, it wasn't. It was painted. 
Those are black streaks of dye. I spent a lot of time on that, didn't I? To get you to see this, the world is deceptive. And you look at it and you think it looks right, but it's not right. The world is desirable. You remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, when Eve was being tempted and she saw that it was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and good tree to be desired to make one wise. The world is desirable. The world is deceitful. I I read an article in doing this this week. I read an article on this. Do you realize that most of what you buy in the grocery store under the label honey is fake There's this much honey in it, and then corn syrup, and other things added too, to make it have the appearance. Mark chapter 4, verse number 19 says this, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the world, the word, and become unfruitful. What is it that would make Preachers quit. The same thing that it would make the layman quit. The world. The world. There are mega stars and child stars and people who have all of the money and all of the fame and all the glamour and all the glory that the world could even give them. Anything that they could imagine. They could afford to buy. You know what you find out? They're still unhappy. And the world is destructible. The world's desirable. The world's deceitful. The world's destructible. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 is speaking of Esau. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited a blessing, he was rejected. For he found no no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. In his earlier life, I'm not going to take the time to develop the story. You remember what happened with Esau. Esau sold away the birthright later on. Oh, how grieved he was. But boy, there was something that was attractive, the world. Number two, the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man. The world will cause you to stop. The wisdom of man will cause you to stop. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 7. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you? Amazing thing. It doesn't say what did hinder you. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? He says, Who did hinder you? I've never met an individual who changed their translation of the scripture that they trusted because they found it on the pages of their Bible. Let me rephrase. I've never found anyone. And listen, there are people who I have known the majority of my life who I put faith and trust in who on this realm are changing. And they never found it in God's Word. They found it when they read human wisdom. 
Nobody can rightly justify the number of church services they may miss because they can justify it with the Word of God. They justify it through the wisdom of man. And churches that have moderated on so many spiritual issues, and I say this often, I want to remind you as your pastor what I believe and think, the methods of ministry, I believe, are doctrinal. God set methods. Cain did not receive forgiveness because he chose the wrong method. The men carrying the ark of God were destroyed because of the method that they used. Moses lost the blessing of God and the privilege to enter into the promised land because of his method. I argue with a lot of pastor friends who change their methods in order to be seeker sensitive. And I, I, this morning, I would love to see our church packed from wall to wall in all of the blue. I would like to see faces in here. But I'm more concerned with God being here. I am horrifically concerned of churches who are not spirit sensitive. And I've not yet had one pastor friend who moderated his stance on biblical things because he found the recommendation in God's Word, but he found it in the recommendation of some man who wrote a book. You'll quit because of the world, and you'll quit because of the wisdom of man. Jude chapter 3, or Jude in verse 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered unto you of the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before ordained of old to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? What will make you stop is when you put your eyes on the world. What will make you stop, what will discontinue you is when you begin to lean on the wisdom of man. Number three, worry. Worry. Look out, it gets personal. 1 Kings chapter number 19. The story in 18 and 19. 18, the prophet of God has just seen an incredible uh, illustration and example of the presence of God and a total of some 850 false prophets have been killed. That's in chapter 18, chapter 19, verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as, one of the, as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Elijah had just prayed a 64-word prayer, and he saw fire fall from heaven on a water-drenched altar and consume every part of the sacrifice. And then he sees God allow him to destroy 850 false prophets. 
And then one woman, Jezebel, sent message, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be like, just like them. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Elijah allows himself to become despondent because he worries about the one wicked woman that threatened to do him in. May I remind you what Philippians 4 says? Be careful for nothing. You know what that basically is saying to us this morning? Don't worry. Don't worry. I have in person watched people quit because of the world. I have watched and seen men quit because of the wisdom of man. Emphasis on man's writing and not on God's writing, God's word. And I've seen people that have quit because of worry. God, listen, God promised to provide for us. Philippians 4.13, you say it with me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Too often we say I can do all things. And when we do, we quit. He's promised to provide for us. He's promised to protect us. Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and dwelleth with them. Oh, thank the Lord for the ministry of angels. We don't even see them. But God says, I'll provide for you. And then I'm going to step up and protect you. And then he says, here's another of his promises. Hebrews 13 and verse number 5. I will never leave thee. Oh, I like that verse when I want to like it. When the bad things are happening, when the struggle days, I will never leave thee. But you know when there's something of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to get there, I'd like to say to Jesus sometimes this. Take a break, Lord. Stay right over here. Let me go for just a minute. And I don't tell him this, but I'm getting ready to have an anger fit, Lord. And I don't care that you see that. You stay here. I'll be back. And I go over here and I have my anger fit, my jealousy fit, my gossip fit, my whatever I want to. And then something bad hits. Then something testing hits. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. Lord, I'm back. You remember what you promised me? I'll never leave you. You know what we, ought to, we, we, we need to recognize? He doesn't ever leave us. He doesn't ever forsake us. He's there when you want him, and he's there when you don't want him. Number four, willfulness. You'll quit because of willfulness. I'll quit because of willfulness. I want you to find your place in Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26. Come to verse 31. This is the last of them for this morning. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Willfulness. 
The world will make you stop. The wisdom of man will make you stop. Worry will make you stop. Willfulness will make you stop. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die, I will not deny thee. But the verse doesn't end there. You ever notice that? Came to my attention a little bit clearer in the last few weeks in preparation. Oh, we, we, want, we want to, you know, we, we'll whoop Peter for what he said. But the verse didn't end there. Likewise, also said all the disciples. Peter thinks he's smarter than the Lord Jesus. Peter actually here argues with the Lord. He's telling the Lord that he's wrong. Though all men be offended because I won't be. Peter's problem was listening to his own mind. The world, the wisdom of man, worry and willfulness of listening to your own self instead of submitting to what the Lord says. He began his willfulness by rejecting the word of the Lord. He chose to disagree with the words of Christ. He more highly thought of himself. He elevated himself above others. Though all men be offended, not me. And the same word he agreed with, he denied. Now notice if you would in verse 75, Matthew 26. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus. Immediately. And he remembered his willfulness. I want to end with an illustration. Sort of came across and came a little personal this week. There's a group called Bearing Precious Seed that is sending God's word to nearly every nation, working through local churches like ours. Director John Green, I'm glad somebody didn't quit. Over 100 years ago, there was a lady by the name of Helen Bolster. While she was a teenager, she felt as if God would have her to be a missionary. When she turned 18 years old, she had given her heart to be a missionary. and She set her intentions on that way, and she went out and she raised support. Listen to this, $75 a month. And she bought her ticket, and she was headed over the ocean to India to be a missionary. Her mother died. She was one of eight siblings. And her father said, would you please consider staying home and helping me with the other seven children. 
But she knew what God had called her to do. But God was changing course. She gave back the $75 in support money. And she turned her ticket in. And she stayed at home to help her father. And by the time the next child was old enough to take care, she had by then met a man by the name of Don Stafford. And they were married. And shortly thereafter, they had a little boy who was born crippled. And it wasn't long after that that Don died. And she found herself a single parent. God brought into her life a man by the name of Emery Knowlton. And she fell in love with him. And they were married. God allowed them to have three boys. All three died. May the 14th, 1929, she gave birth to twins. A boy by the name of William and a little girl they named Williford. Winifred. William died July 25th, 70 days after he was born. Helen took her two and a half pound or two and a half pound baby girl and placed her, don't be judgmental, in a lined cigar box and went to Par Memorial Baptist Church and laid that box with her living Winifred in the box and she said, I don't understand why all my children have died. And I don't understand why you took my husband. You called me to be a missionary. and You changed that in all my life. I just wanted to serve you. At what part of this story would you have quit? And she said, God, I give you, Winifred. And I want you to raise up in her what I never could. She gave her little baby in that lined cigar box on the altar at Par Memorial Baptist Church. And she said, I give you my daughter. Winifred grew up and she married a man by the name of Don Green. And Don was the pastor of Parker Memorial Baptist Church. For 60 years. And his wife Winifred. Labored beside him. She was the church organist. She was involved in a lot of other activities in the church. And she passed away. In March of 1975. From. Winifred. Today. There are 30. Preachers. Did you get that? Her sons, her grandsons, her daughters and her granddaughter's husbands. And this gentleman, Don Green, through the ministry of bearing precious seed, 
has sent millions and millions and millions of copies of the scripture around the world. And it all started with a young mother who had lost it all. But what she did have, she gave to God. And her prayer was, God, take Winifred and do with her and produce from her. And literally today, her husband is the interim pastor, not inter- the um, pastor emeritus for this Parker Memorial Baptist Church till this day. What if she quit? I've been around folks that have lost children. In my human heart, I'd say, boy, that justifies quitting. I've never lost a mate. I've never seen my life turn upside down to the place that what God had called me to do all my life, now I can't do. I'm glad she did not quit. Abraham and Sarah did not quit. Jacob had every human reason to quit, but he didn't. And he was the salvation of the nation of Israel. Joseph. Jacob. God loved his children through him. Peter failed. And he, remember we just read the verse, and he remembered the words of Christ. But he didn't quit. And he stood on the day of Pentecost. And what did he preach? The words of Christ. And the first century church Job, in the most horrible day of life, didn't quit. On the day when three obnoxious friends show up, he didn't quit. When his wife said, it's no use, Job, curse God and die, quit. Job said, I'm not doing. And everything that God had blessed him with before, God doubles again. Why? He didn't quit. Am I trying to get you to this morning... Not quit so God doubles your blessing? No, I'm trying to get us not to quit so God can use us. And God can multiply us. And I found this in Scripture. We're finished. I have found this. What God multiplies, He first breaks. But you have to survive the breaking to get to His blessing. Don't quit. Four things to be mindful of. To watch them. Guard our hearts. Would you pray with us? Father,